I'm Krati Mehra and this is Beyond the Goals podcast. It's my attempt to help you revel in all that life has to offer without pressing pause on your hustle. We learn how to create healthier relationships, a healthier lifestyle, a career that brings us true joy and a life that satisfies us on every level. Forget the conventional ideas of success and happiness because we're going to live a life of value and create an impact that speaks to our place in the world. So let's get started. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Goals podcast. This is episode number 67 and I'm your host Krati in conversation with Diana Joy, a multi-passionate educator, community builder and content creator. And we are taking on something very interesting and very relevant because we are talking about how multi-passionates can live a fulfilling life, a life where they don't have to deny any piece of themselves where they get to express every aspect of their character without risking burnout. Our guest expert, Joy, believes having many passions is a gift, not a burden, and she's on a mission to rewrite the narrative around choosing one thing being the only path to success. Through her ebook, signature course, group program, and podcast, Joy teaches creatives how to make friends with focus, overcome overwhelm, and step into their multi-passionate mastery. So let's get into it. Let me start by saying thank you once again, because I know you have a busy schedule. And considering your role, which we're going to go into you know, deeper now, I'm sure you had a, have a lot on your plate, so I'm very grateful that you're here. I actually don't have a lot on my plate, but I intentionally keep it that way. And so I prioritize having white space on my calendar and I only do a certain amount of calls in a day. I only take calls during certain parts of my menstrual cycle. So it might appear that I'm very busy, but it's actually that I'm protecting my abundance of spaciousness on my calendar. That is, I'm going to go deeper into that because there's like so much there for us to learn about. But first, for the benefit of my audience and for the benefit of the topic that we're discussing, can, can you please introduce yourself? Like I want to, yes. because that would really get the point across. Yes, sure. So my name is Deanna Joy. I go by my middle name mostly online. So if you hear anyone refer to me as Joy, it's definitely still me. And I'm a multi-passionate creativity educator, content creator, coach, mentor, and a new podcast host as well. And my work is to really start to rewrite this narrative that, you know, being a specialist is the only way to achieve success. I really believe that we are in a new era where multi-passionate creatives deserve their space and their time on in center stage, not on the sidelines and not backstage. And what I have learned through wanting to really empower and uplift multi-passionates is that empowerment is great. You know, helping someone get a confidence boost is great. But giving another person an actual tool or a practice that they can implement in their day-to-day life that creates a change is better. So as I have developed my work over the years, because it all started with a blog, and kind of just snowballed into, okay, how can I be more helpful? How can I have more of an impact? And as I have developed my business over the years, I'm realizing that it's those practical tools. It's those simple things that you can implement 
day after day that really start to create a shift in your own, the way that you think about yourself, that's really where the magic is. And then I can come back and say, your passions are a gift, not a burden. And it's okay to be multi-passionate because you actually have a way to apply that and you understand it from your own experience. So I do a lot of work around focus. The new work that I'm diving into is learning about creating priorities and understanding how to prioritize as a multi-passionate, which has been really amazing and fun to dive into. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. I have to say that was beautifully put. I think (laughs) you really like, I, I really believe that you got the audience to tune into what we are discussing here because I think the world is changing now, as you said, multi-passionate people, there is a space for all of us anyways, of course, but multi-passionate people, there is a struggle there, but I do see the world changing and we are like the people who may not be multi-passionate themselves are making space for the rest of us, but it is still, there is still some struggle there. I, I know that. I am also someone who has a few hats that she wears and sometimes some of them don't fit right. Some of them seem to not, you know, belong, not quite my own, as in I have this doubt whether I should even be playing this role and maybe I should just stick to my, stick to my lane. Sometimes even that hits you like I'm I'm venturing too far from my territory. Maybe I got to rein this in and so much, there's so much doubt around it. So, so I love that I'm laughing. I'm laughing because I love to think in analogies. And when you said that, it's like, we all hear that phrase, stay in your lane. And it's like, how often do you go for a long drive and only stay in one lane? (laughs) Literally never. (laughs) It's like, actually, no one, no one really does that in reality. Yeah. We shift. We see something in the next lane. It looks like it's moving in a new direction. It looks like it's going to be more helpful. We get over. Yeah. We can always go back. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Speed up. Slow that down. That was really yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how often do we, do we quote unquote, stay in our own lane when we're actually driving? I think, uh, yeah. I just, I, I, I'm like a very visual thinker. So when you said that, I was just like thinking about LA traffic. I live in Los Angeles yeah. and I was like, you stay in your own lane. You probably never get anywhere. <laughs> Yeah, that's very true. I think that's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. What if you need to make a left turn? Yeah. What if you need to make a right turn? And you're in the middle lane. You're supposed to keep going in the middle forever, you know? Yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's I maybe life would be fun like that if you could all just stick to our own lane, but it definitely wouldn't be as much fun and it definitely wouldn't feel well lived, I think. To get to that place, you gotta try all the hats in your closet and you gotta rock them all to really, really see yourself fully as you are. And, you know, not just a smaller little version of yourself that seems comfortable to everyone. Yeah. (laughs) But I love that you started by clarifying that you don't, in fact, have a lot on your plate. You are able to juggle all these roles and still prioritize. So I love that. We're going to get into that. But first, let me ask you, like you are at this place where, you know, the rest of us see you as somewhat of an expert on the subject, right? I know people have a problem with the expert label because we like, you know, for everyone to believe that we're all learning. Of course we are. But even so, you are educating people on the subject. But I can't help but wonder that the journey couldn't have been all that smooth getting to where you are today. 
So care to share some insight into that? Yes, of course. So what I consider myself an expert in is the ability to understand and be curious about the challenges that I face, the willingness to trust myself enough to come up with solutions for those problems through copious amounts of trial and error, and then a continuing of that curiosity, the understanding that once something works for me and once I experience a big shift in my life, it isn't just for me. And then another willingness to be brave enough to share that solution with someone else. That, if you really think about it, that's what I'm an expert in. The subject matter, the topics, it's what it's what calls me. It's what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about helping multi-passionate creatives because I am one and because I struggled so much and I looked high and low and nobody had a specific flavor of help that was just for me. And when I would look around and try to find advice for multi-passionates, it was very much like, here's how you can overcome being multi-passionate. Here's how you like fix this kind of kind of energy. And I didn't want to fix the fact that I was into a lot of different things and had a lot of different ways that I want to express myself. I didn't want to fix that. I wanted to embrace that. And I couldn't really find many people. There was a few, a few people out there talking about that, but not enough. And so I had to mentor myself. I had to coach myself. I had to start coming up with solutions for myself. That's where a lot of that challenge, that's where that was and and can still live at times because when you feel like you are figuring things out on your own it's very lonely and it can feel very frustrating and you can start to feel like am i ever going to get to a place where i'm not constantly overwhelmed or i'm not constantly jumping from one thing to the next without completing it you know i went through a phase in my early 20s where I had started so many things and not finished them that I didn't even trust myself to start again. And it was a very dark time because I told myself a lot of really negative stories that I would never be successful, that, you know, maybe I just needed to find a day job or something because I wasn't going to be able to do my own thing because I couldn't commit, quote unquote, to anything. And I told myself all these stories and all these stories. And then I realized that I could sit in that space and I could feel that way and I could feel down on myself and I could beat myself up or I could think about if there was another way. If choosing one thing was torturing me and it wasn't working, was there another way? But that that middle part of that journey of like not trusting myself, that was where a lot of that challenge really was. And now it, it still comes back in waves, you know? I'll put out a new program and I'm like, ah, is this going to help anyone? Oh my goodness. You know, did this only work for me? Can I really teach this? Is it too, but how can I simplify this? Are people going to understand? And I hear that voice and it's like, I sit down with it at tea. I'm like, okay, have a glass of, you know, here you go. Talk to me. What's on your mind. And I sort of listen to it and I go, I totally hear you. And we're going to do it anyway. So like, yeah, I get it totally natural. And what I teach my clients is to love yourself through imposter syndrome. Like that, that part of us that's worried that we're not actually helpful. 
Like that's because you care so yeah. much. That's because you want to help. That's because you truly want to deliver a high quality experience. That's something that you can love about yourself. That's not a bad quality to have. It's just that it transmutes into this like chaotic self-talk that feels really bad. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of where the challenge is. And still today it comes up, you know, we're not immune from that just because we start to put ourselves out there. But I've learned to listen to that voice, know it's normal, and then push through. And then you get to the point where, you know, you have people saying, oh, your podcast is really helping me, or oh, I got your ebook, or, you know, my clients and my program are reflecting back to me how supportive the content is. So yeah, all that is to say, it's the self-doubt and the negative self-talk. That's where, that's where the main challenge can really, can really yeah. be. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. I love that you came across all of this content, all of these people who were making it look like being a, being multi-passionate is something to fix about yourself, but you didn't let that deter you. You were, you know, you went on trying to look for solutions that work for you and not against you. And that were that would allow you to exist as your whole self. I love that because I think all the other, maybe it's just me, maybe my research is lacking, but most of the other multi-passionate people that we look at are quite quite famous. So they started at one thing, they got really, really good at it, made a name for yourself, made a name for themselves, sorry, and then started picking up all of these other roles. And that's an easy road to walk. I can see why you would prefer that. But what you are doing, it has a beauty all its own, because you are not denying a single part of yourself. You are saying, I'm gonna let all of you breathe, and I'm going to fight for the space that you deserve. And that's to me, that's beautiful. But yeah, it has a lot of struggles to it. Like in your podcast as well, like your origin story episode, you shared that even with the podcast, you had like a bit of a fight at your hands where you had to, you know, listen to that other voice inside you that was telling you, you got to go ahead and do it. You know, forget the raspy voice, just go ahead and do it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I love that. I love, love your story. And yeah. yeah, you you have to, I think multi-passionate people think differently. And there is, I think, a TED Talk as well on the topic. Yes, so, Emily uh, Wapnick, my, yeah, my yeah. good friend now. Yes, she's amazing. And I'm so grateful to say that through like continuing to put work out into the world, Emily actually started to notice what I was doing. And so we are actually thinking about doing something together really soon. But her TED Talk it's called Why Some of Us Don't Have One True Calling. I mean, if you can even maybe link to it in your show notes for this episode, I will, I will. it's so fantastic. And it almost makes me feel emotional because I remember when I was first starting my blog, you know, again, looking for that. Is anyone out there yeah. <laughs> going to just give me permission to be myself, you know? And I remember coming across Emily's TED Talk and watching it and watching it again and watching it again and feeling like so seen and so heard and that being like okay I can do this I'm gonna keep going and fast forward a few years this uh last year she puts together a bundle every year of like multi-passionate must-haves and my ebook was in the bundle so talk about like the timeline just collapsing and going from really being inspired and being an admiration of this person to continuing to put this work out into the world, even when I didn't know if anyone was paying attention 
to then that timeline collapsing and and being in the same room with her and and sharing space with her and being able to thank her directly and things like that. So I say all that to say, like, you know, I think putting people on pedestals is is a slippery slope, but there's nothing wrong with admiring people and looking up to them. But it's so important, especially in the multi-passionate space. What I've realized is those of us who truly want to create solutions, we're like in it together. We have like a centralized mission. Like, okay, you know, we want to create solutions because there's such a deep, deep lack in yeah. the in the multi-passionate community. Um, but that TED Talk, everyone who's listening should go watch it. So yeah, good. absolutely. Of course. And I think this is like this TED Talk along with everything you've shared already, all the content that you've put out there and everything you're probably going to share, you know, in future as well. I think all of that is, I would like to think of it as an excuse, as permission, as a plea even to people out there who constantly question themselves about the practicality of this approach. You, this is not really a choice. If you deny pieces of yourself, dude, your life, you, you're only going to live half your life. That's really not okay because there is really no do-over, you know? So I really hope the people who are listening, who anyways listen to your content as well. So if you are suppressing those pieces of yourself, consider this your permission to at least go explore. But I would yeah. love to hear, because I know you have a business around it. I'm sure you interact with people all the time who question the practicality of the approach. So what would you say to those people? Because yeah, if you are developing like, perhaps five different projects. That means yeah. a lot more money invested. That mm -hmm. means a lot mm -hmm. more time invested. Mm -hmm. And that means very little guarantee around really mm -hmm. anything, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So what's interesting, and I love to make this differentiation when I do interviews, is that sometimes I think people come across my work and they think that I'm going to say, like, you're multi-passionate, do everything all at once. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. And it's actually not what I teach at all. So I actually teach a lot about focus and creating seasons of focus. And I also teach something that's new and emerging, which is called my priority mapping method. And this is starting to cultivate a more flexible long-term view so that you can see how your various ideas can, can potentially co-mingle or, and or each have their own moment to shine. What I really would love to see more multi-passionates doing is thinking 90 days ahead, thinking a year ahead. Because what happens is we get these ideas and we think everything's urgent and needs to be acted upon right now. And that's coming from a really, really like authentic place. We're excited and we want to just do it and like get it out. And we're a little bit scared. Like if we don't do it now, someone else might do it or is it, we're not going to be excited about it later or you know, we have all this excitement now. And what if we don't care about it in a few weeks? But starting to say, okay, how do I feel about this today? How do I think I'm going to feel about this 90 days from now? Just that. Just stopping long enough to ask yourself that question. As a multi-passionate person is really impactful because you might find that you get a new idea for a project. Let's take the example of someone who's working on five projects at once. Let's say if maybe they were in my coaching program with me, so they learned the priority mapping method. So now they have a new way of approaching this. So let's say they already have a couple of projects that are going. Yeah. Their new goal is to get those projects into a space where they start to get some energy back. That might mean that they close the doors. 
That might mean that they automate it. That might mean that they uh, hire someone to run it. That might mean that they allow it to be kind of dormant, meaning that they're not going to promote it. It still exists, but maybe they're not in a big marketing push for that particular thing. So now, even though there are two projects happening, they have more energetic bandwidth to open up to start to bring some new energy in because multi-passionate creatives, we do need new energy. It needs to come in. So let's say that 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 person gets an idea for another thing. Like, okay, it's time to start a podcast or I'm finally ready to write my book or I'm ready to like, I want to have a membership or whatever it is. Now, what I like to teach is, okay, beautiful. Let's run that idea through kind of a filter. Let's figure out a way to see is this actually a brand new idea or did this idea come to deliver information to you about a way you can innovate that thing that you just push paused on? Is this idea something that can be integrated into the structures that you've already built? Do you need to go and learn new skills in order to carry that new idea out or do you already have those skills? Because that's going to play a part in what it's like energetically to bring it forward. If you need to learn new skills, are those new skills going to also impact the projects you already have, or is it entirely unrelated? Now, if it's entirely unrelated, you need to learn new skills, and it's not going to be integrated into anything that you're already doing, it doesn't mean we're not doing it. Yeah. It just means maybe we get to pause and dedicate a season of focus to bringing that forward. Season of focus is like 90 days, right? Because we need time to learn the skills, we need time to make a plan, we need time to execute it and bring it forward. Then you bring it forward, then you look at it again, how do I feel about it now? Do I still want to do this? Is there anything that I want to change? Can this be integrated into the structures that I've already built now? No? Okay. So what does it look like now to have three projects that I'm maintaining? What does that look like? So this happens in my own business a ton. For example, I have a merch a merch shop. I sell t-shirts and hats and I make very little money off of it right now because I'm not marketing it actively. I'm not marketing it actively because I'm about to open up doors to my coaching program, so that's where my attention is at this time. However, I have a plan in the future to dedicate a 90-day season of focus only to marketing my merch. That will happen once my coaching program is automated and evergreen and people can find the webinar and just join whenever they want without me necessarily needing to personally invite them. So once that happens, I'll start getting some energy back. Then I'm going to shift my attention, create a 90-day season of focus for my merchandise. At that time, I'm going to consider hiring someone to help me start an affiliate campaign, to send some t-shirts out to some people, to stay in touch with them. I don't want to have to do that. I want to create the shirts, <laughs> create the yeah, stuff, yeah. you know, be excited about it, wear it in my own content or whatever. And then I want to bring someone else in to help me with creating an affiliate, you know, campaign for yeah. that. And then I want to do like, you know, just dedicated emails and I'll do all that stuff. I can get that going in 90 days and I can have that automated at the end of 90 days. I can start doing some ads for my stuff on Pinterest or wherever and have that going. Once the merch is selling and I don't have to sit there every day going on Instagram live and showing my stuff, it's already going. That's another revenue stream. Now, I don't feel bad that today I'm not making tons of money on these shirts because 
They're in what I like to call the maintenance phase. They live on my website. If someone wants to buy one, they can find it. It doesn't need my attention in order for someone to see the shirt, like the shirt, order it, and get it to them. It's all automated. So even though it's not a huge stream of revenue for me right now, I don't feel urgency. I don't feel pressure. Oh, I better start talking about it now because like, I'm multi-passionate and everything's supposed to be happening all at once. I don't feel that pressure because I have a flexible long-term view that allows me to see. Right now, I am focused on coaching the heck out of my clients, building a beautiful new program and getting that to the point where it's evergreen. Once that program is evergreen, my job is to show up twice a month and coach. We have coaching calls every two weeks. Twice a month coaching, that's not going to use up as much of my energy as it is today while I'm like creating the actual course. That's calling a lot out of me, right? So I get energy back. So this is how, this is the practicality of the approach. It's, we don't have to do everything at one time. We can love our ideas and know that they are all going to have their moment and, or we can start to integrate them together. I could create a t-shirt that says multi-passionate mastery squad that goes with my podcast, for example. So there's ways to intertwine things and or there's a way to have each thing have its own moment. If you think about going to a play, you go to a beautiful production, you know, and you have your starring role and you have your supporting cast. But even then, you have people who are backstage changing the set. There's so many elements that go into bringing forward that production. So if you think about it, your passions are like actors in that play. That's the production. And you are the director. So you always get to decide. And that's really important, too, because there's such there's so little information out there about what it actually looks like to be multi-passionate that we end up kind of going to the extreme of like, OK, got to do everything at the same time to like prove that I can do it. And that's that's actually not very helpful because it leads to overwhelm. And we don't want overwhelmed multi-passionates. Yeah. We want well-rested, playful, happy multi-passionates, you yeah. know? Yeah. So. That was brilliant. That was brilliant. And I think you've helped me. I don't know about the listeners, but I feel helped because I struggle with this too. I'm always like idea X, idea Y, idea A and idea B. All of that needs to go out tomorrow. And then it's like, dude, you only have 24 hours in a day. How the Mm -hmm. F are you going to manage it? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. this was brilliant because, you know, even like in even a business that's not multi-passionate, even a production that's not you know, wearing too many hats, there's not too much going on, has a gestation period. There is a period of time where everything's going in and nothing is coming out. And that's okay. So why not make, just simply because there's so much judgment around being a multi-passion because the world is still not as accepting of it. I think we tend to over worry about everything. Absolutely. So it's okay. Yeah. So, so, so it's, it would be okay to say that, yeah, you are a multi-passionate person, but you can have periods where one role shines more than the others. Yeah. I don't know about you, but if I walk into like a dinner party and I mean, I haven't been at a dinner party in ages, but let's say I go to a friend's (laughs) house for dinner or something and there's like 10 people there and every single person is talking and everyone's having a different conversation, I'm going to be like, uh, 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 like, I don't know what to do, where to go, or who to sit with. But if there's a couple people who are just eating and aren't talking, 
I can go hang out with them. Or if there's a couple people who are standing up in a different corner of the room, I can go talk to them. So, I mean, it's kind of like what we were saying with the analogy of sticking in your lane. It's like, if we can start to create some imagery, because I know that multi-passionate and just creative people in general, we tend to think in pictures, like we're very visual thinkers, a lot of us. So even that can be helpful. Like, think about where in your life do you see so many things all happening at the same time where it just like doesn't feel chaotic at all? There's like very few things. There's ebbs and flows in almost everything in life, the seasons, the moon, like, you know, so that's nature. That's just how nature works. And as multi-passionates, I think what, I think the struggle is, and, and you're really, you're getting at this as well, is that there's this intense pressure to prove that we can do it, prove that we can be who we want to be, that we like, it's almost like this rebellious, like we just want to disrupt everything and go, no, I'm going to do it all. And you know what I say to that? If that's, if you need to have that experience of like, no, I'm doing all of this. No one's going to tell me by all means do it. You know, the one, the number one thing I tell my coaching clients is to trust yourself. You don't, don't ever abandon your self-trust to listen to something I have to say. That's not the goal here. Trust yourself. And if maybe you need that experience of trying to do everything at once to understand that that's not really the most empowering way for you to do that as a multi-passionate person. Because when you're trying to do everything at one time, often what happens is, uh uh-oh, what happened to my creativity? What happened to this other passion of mine that I really love to do for pleasure that I now have no time for? Oh, like I'm, I, you know, I'm building this life to express myself, but I've turned every single one of my hobbies into a paid job and I'm exhausted. So, you know, sometimes people have to have that lived experience to see that there is another way. But if we just think about the places in life where there are ebbs and flows, there's an intermission at the play, you know, (laughs) where you can go and use the restroom, movie times, like there's some overlap, but they don't all start at every single movie started at the same time. Every single day, movie theaters could not operate like that. There has to be different shows at different times. Like, so I think sometimes thinking about like getting outside of just business per se and thinking about life in other areas of life, how are things able to operate when there's more than one thing happening? It's because there's some kind of structure. There's some kind of plan. Things are somewhat organized and then you flow within that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really hoping that this is helpful. I know we're kind of like going on a tangent, but it's just such an interesting conversation, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's absolutely so helpful. Like, because the things that you are saying, I've had those moments. I have gone through those issues and I know so many of the people that I've collaborated with who've had those struggles. Me too. Yeah, yeah, those exact struggles. Like this is what their reality was like, pure and utter chaos and chaos that they created. And I always say to my clients that you should be writing. It's okay to have chaos in your life, but you should be writing the chaos. The chaos should not be writing you. But the way you write it shouldn't be so self-destructive that at the end of it, you've got nothing left. Because that's something. sometimes that's what happens. That's how burnout happens. Emotional, mental, physical that's not okay. Nothing, nothing is worth that. So yeah, no, everything you've shared makes so much sense. So yeah, we can be multi-passionate, but that does not necessarily have to look like 
20 projects, all of them paying million bucks. No, it means you can even, it, it could even just simply mean projects that are built on the back of another project. Like you said, maybe they complement each other to the extent where there is an ease of process. That, that's brilliant. But I have to ask, like, especially, this is especially for people who are uh, digital entrepreneurs, online entrepreneurs. So, you know, there is this, although you have kind of answered this question, I know, but I want to ask it in this spe these specific terms. There is a whole hoopla about niching down, right? And I understand it. We all understand the concept and we get it. We, we even stand by it. But as a, as a multi-passionate, you also have audience that you want to cater to, like a variety of audience, perhaps. Where does the concept of niching down fit in with that concept, fit in with being a multi-passionate? I love this question. And I have a whole podcast episode about this because yes. <laughs> here we go. It's another conversation that like gets to be had in a new way and a new refreshing way. So when I think about, uh, okay, I'm going to use an analogy here. Shocker, surprise, right? Okay. So when you go into a frozen yogurt shop and you want to get some frozen yogurt, the first thing that you typically will do is you'll pick up a little taster cup, one of those tiny little cups, and you'll go around the store with your cup and you'll try different flavors and you might get two or three taster cups trying to figure out, does this one, this one is too tart, this one is too sweet, there's no way I could eat a whole bowl of that. Oh, these two seem like they would go good together. And then something just clicks and you're like, okay, I'm ready for the big cup and you go get the big cup. And then typically even that has more than one flavor. This is kind of like niching. This is kind of like what niching is. Now, here's the thing with me. I Niching down, I love to think of a niche as more of like an arrival, like a place that you organically just get to. Because what happens is when, we, when our goal is to niche down, it can kind of put the blinders on in a way that might not be as supportive. So for here's the example that I gave on, on my podcast. And I'm going to give it here too because... It's a really good example. When I first started my blog, I was writing about whatever I wanted because that was the point for me. That was the point of starting a blog. It was like, right. I just need a space on the internet where I can just do what I want and no one's going to tell me that it's wrong or like that I need to niche down. So and even though a lot of the advice that I saw about blogging was to just pick a niche and then blog, I was like, no, that's the opposite of what I'm trying to do here. So I blo I blogged about a lot of different topics. I was doing recipes, plant care, home decor. And then occasionally I was writing articles and just kind of essays about like life advice and thoughts that I was having. Then I wrote an article about being multi-passionate. And when I wrote that article, I it felt different than anything I had ever written. And it was received differently than anything I had ever written. There was like such this, so much of a response to it of like, almost like how we feel about seeing Emily's TED talk. That was like, so, some of the yeah. feedback was like, wow, you know, this was a really great article. So I took that to heart and I told myself, okay, I'm going to keep writing about this topic, but I still let myself blog about plants and crystals and whatever else I was interested in. And yet, even though I gave myself that freedom, I kept coming back to, I want to talk about creativity. I want to talk about being multi-passionate. I want to talk about ways that I'm able to focus that maybe can help someone else. 
And so I kept coming back to back to it. What a difference. If I would have chosen a niche, I can guarantee you I would have been like crystals. Okay, I love crystals. And none right. of the work that I have done today would have come out into the world. If I would have just niched down just because I would have just picked a topic, gone quote right. unquote all in on it and just niche down. But because I wasn't in a rush to niche down, I allowed it to just be an organic arrival. What's the topic I keep coming back to? What's the thing that I keep writing about even when there's a million other things I could be talking about? Oh, creativity, multi-passionate. What am I feeling the most lit up about? It's this, it's this. So the thing about niching down is like, try things out, just try, because here we go again. It's like, (laughs) where in life are you supposed to just walk into the room make one decision and walk out, you know, in the frozen yogurt shop, no one is saying, how dare you not get your big cup and only have one flavor in it? You're a mess. You're a hot mess, right? If you're looking for an apartment or a place to live, no one's expecting you to just see something online and just pick the first one. You can go and you can look at multiple places and no one's saying, oh, you're just a mess. You just don't, you have, you don't know how to commit. No, actually in life we have choices. And if you really think about it, I mean, think about life right now, right? In this year, in this time, this age of the internet, think about all of the options that are before us. And yet we're supposed to be able to figure out what we want to do as if we're still living in the fifties or sixties where there was just like very few, it was like you work in a factory, you know, or you work at a, at a mall. It was like very few jobs at at certain points. You know what I mean? The career pool was much more limited than it is now. That's what I'm trying to say. We have so many different options now with the internet. And yet we still are expecting people to just buckle down and make these really finite choices very quickly, even though there's all these options. It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't match up. So if someone is wondering, someone's listening to this and saying, okay, that sounds good. But like, if I don't know who I'm helping and I don't know how I can help them, then how am I ever going to get my work out there? And like, this is all cool and fine, but I need to probably niche down at some point. I'm not going to disagree with you, but what I'm going to say is allow it to be an organic arrival. You niching down is inevitable. It's inevitable. There's going to be something or a collection of things that you want to continue to come back to over and over and over again. But if you can give yourself the freedom to explore and allow it to happen organically, this is when you start to show up with a lot more passion behind what you're doing. Cause it's not just something you picked. It's something that picked you that chose you. Yeah. So we're not making an argument against niching down. We're just saying, let your passion lead to your niche by first exploring all the options out there that call to you. So yeah, that makes a lot more sense. And I think that would lead to a practical career, of course, that you know supports you, but also I think a, a happier one. You would be happier yeah. for it. You know, that makes a lot of sense. So the imposter syndrome is always quite an element whenever we take on challenges that are perhaps bigger than anything we have sort of dealt with up to that point. But I'm guessing that when you are playing multiple roles in your career, that noise is going to be so much louder. So how do we manage that? There is an element where we have to convince ourselves that we are on the right path, we're doing the right thing, we're gonna get there. And then there is a conversation that we have with all the other people who are already gonna be like, 
what are you doing? This is too much. You you can't possibly make all of this work. You know, that stick to your lane thing again. So how do we manage, juggle all of that? How do we, you know, make sure that the external voice is not louder than our inner mm-hmm, voice? Mm-hmm. You know what? It's such a great question. And I think the first step is allowing that voice to be heard. If you think about a toddler, for example, I used to be a nanny and I nannied two toddler boys at one point. So I'm very aware of toddlers and their energy. And when a toddler comes to you and is kind of whining that they don't want to do something and they're like, oh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to karate. Like, I just don't want to do it. I'm not that good. All the other kids are better. Like, oh, I don't want to go. Maybe they even throw a tantrum. It's very rare that you look at that kid and go, you're a freaking loser. Get it together. Put on your karate costume and just go and be confident. You are going to look at that child and go, first of all, you're so cute, even though you're throwing a tantrum. Lucky, lucky, luckily you're cute. That's number one, right? (laughs) And then number two is, hey, like, hey, buddy, it's okay. You know, that's okay. I'm going to go with you. Like, okay, what if we just went and watched the class today? How would that feel for you? And then if you want to join, you totally can. But let's just get dressed and let's just go. But you don't even have to do it. Let's just go watch and just see, you know, like how would that feel for you? You're going to have compassion and you're going to start thinking of alternative solutions to their thought, their train of thought that might feel better for them. Right. So and I mean, this is not the first time you probably heard this, but when that voice comes up, when you have that imposter syndrome come up, you can really stop and say, what would I say to a child? Or what would I say to my best friend? Something that I tell my clients all the time, and it probably annoys them because they'll ask me a question and I'll sit and I'll listen and I'll be quiet and I'll say, okay, if someone came to you and asked you, and then I'll repeat the question back and I'll say, what would you say to them? And then they just coach themselves and I just sit and I hold space. Because here's the thing, for every thought that we have that is an imposter syndrome thought, you know, I'm not good enough. I haven't figured this out. No one's going to want this. Who's going to want this? No one's going to sign up. Am I really, can I really help people? All those questions that come up, your brain created those thoughts, which means that your brain has the ability to create the opposite of those thoughts. And what I find to be really helpful when that voice comes up is to use what if statements. What if all these doubts that I'm having are just gonna make my content even better? What if more people sign up than I realize? What if, what if no one signs up? What will happen? What is the worst that can happen? What will actually happen? Okay, if no one signs up, I'll definitely feel a little bit bad, but I could extend my timeline or I could approach it a different, I could change the name and do it again because no one knew what was on the inside. You know, I could talk to a few people and see maybe why they didn't sign up. I could treat this like a research project. I could take a little bit of pressure off of me, you know, to get it right the first time I can try it again. Or what if everything is happening exactly as it's supposed to? That's my favorite question to ask, you know? What if I'm meant to feel a little bit of self-doubt today? What if that's actually completely okay? What if there's nothing that needs to be fixed right now? And then just wait and receive the answer because your brain can produce those thoughts too. 
The other thing to realize is that I think sometimes we have imposter syndrome, especially as multi-passionates when we're trying something new or when we're wanting to create like a new solution to a problem per se. And some of that imposter syndrome can come in the form of, well, I don't have any testimonials yet, or no one has actually gone through this process yet. And for that, I would say helping yourself counts. If you have had a problem yourself and you've gone through it and you struggled through it and you were able to pull a solution from yourself and then put it in a teachable like format, that process is so amazing that before you share it with anyone, that deserves to be celebrated. Because you created something amazing that helped you. And who knows the problem more intimately than you do because you went through it. That counts. And I think sometimes we feel like our solutions and our unique approach to things don't, it doesn't count until someone else validates it. But what if you gave yourself that validation first and then all you had to do was share what worked for you? I didn't have testimonials when I, you know, wrote my ebook about focus. I just knew that, okay, this worked for me. I need to put it in a digestible format where people can, you know, make one purchase and get all the information at once. Uh, so I'm going to write an ebook. And then I did. I, I, I sold, I think my first few copies, I had a membership at the time and I allowed my, you know, my, my members to grab it at half the price. I didn't even give it away for free. I was like, nope, you can pay half. <laughs> and then I said in exchange for testimonials, and maybe I did a few for free, but that was how I got testimonials. I said, Hey, I went to the community of people who kind of already knew what I was about. And I said, I wrote this ebook would you read it? You know, I'll give you a discount and would you provide testimonials? So I also did not wait for someone to appear out of thin air and give me a testimonial. I asked for it. I asked for feedback. I said, I would love your feedback. And some people gave me feedback about parts that maybe were a little bit confusing. And then I made edits. And throughout that whole process, sure, there was a little bit of imposter syndrome, but that voice starts to settle down when you go, you know what? What if it's okay if I have self-doubt? What can I do to soothe this? Let me have a few people read this. Let me see how it's landing before I share it with other people. That would really soothe me. That would really help that voice that I have. Here's here's another example of another way to approach it. In my my coaching program, Prioritize and Thrive, in the first module, we talk about human design because I love human design. I think it's a really powerful tool. I was planning on teaching it myself, but my imposter syndrome was like, rearing its ugly head and kind of going like, are you sure you want to teach this yourself? You're not certified in human design. Sure, you know enough about it, but you kind of mostly know about your human design. Like, are you really going to be able to help everyone else? And I then asked a new question. What if I brought someone else in to teach just that part? And then it was like, oh, okay. Now I can settle. My nervous system can settle because I know that that imposter syndrome It was actually me being concerned that my clients were not going to have a high quality experience if I forced myself to teach it myself. So that what if became, okay, you know, what if I, first I was like, well, what if I just did introductory lessons and then just put links to all these other places they could go? And I was like, oh, that feels a little chaotic, you know? And I thought, what if I, what if I see if my human design mentor can just teach inside of the program and I can pay her to do that? 
And that's what we did. And that felt a lot better because then I could still be confident about why I love human design and why I think it's helpful, but I didn't have to actually teach it. So my imposter syndrome in that case was actually extremely helpful. So it's when we can engage in conversation that we can start to see that that's our brain. That's our brain posing an option to us. And we can either go down that road and let it lead to kind of a downward spiral where we just feel like total crap and don't want to get out of the bed. Or we can get curious and we can start to engage and we can start to ask questions and we can see if that imposter syndrome is revealing parts of ourselves that we can love ourselves through, that we can nurture, that we can talk to like that toddler who just doesn't want to go to the karate class, you know? So I think imposter syndrome just requires kind of a gentle hand at times um, because it already makes you feel so bad. So, you know, it's not about like, you know, some people say like, you know, keep proof that you're awesome. And I used to do that. I used to have like a book of awesomeness and I would write down compliments people gave me. And But I'll be honest, when you're really feeling a lot of imposter syndrome, it's kind of like, yeah, sure, you know people have said nice things, but oftentimes you have imposter syndrome about something that you're doing that's new. So I'm going to be honest, like keeping a keeping a file of compliments that hasn't really worked for me yeah. <laughs> as much as just like talking yeah. myself through it and being in the moment and not trying to escape the moment by looking at nice things people have said, because then I'm outsourcing, right? I'm outsourcing my self-confidence to something outside of me. So I like to take the approach of being curious. What if, what if, and kind of just, just talking it out and just talking it out and just seeing where we get to go. That that's the most helpful thing that I've personally experienced. Yeah. I love this. I love this. Talk to your inner toddler people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, This is awesome. This is like sitting through a masterclass. And I think anybody listening to you, (laughs) not just to this episode, to any of your episodes, uh, on your podcast and all the other content you create, listen to her talk because this is how this is what passion sounds like. This is what joy is what passion sounds like. <laughs> Thank you so I much. I love this. Yeah. Um, I gotta ask, uh, are there any resources that you recommend? Like we have all your resources. I'm gonna link to that in the episode description. But anything yeah. else that helps you find your way when you're feeling a little lost? Yeah. Um Definitely. Yeah. So first of all, definitely come hang out with me on my podcast. I would love, love to hang out with you there. It's called multi-passionate mastery, but other things outside of what I created that really helped me. Um, I love EFT tapping. So it's like where you tap on meridian points of the body. And it's very similar to kind of what we're talking about right now. You tap and what I like about tapping, I, I enjoy affirmations. I enjoy them. But a lot of times affirmations can feel like I have to abandon how I feel now in favor of how I want to feel in the future. Yeah. And with a very logical brain, it's kind of like, okay, but that's not true right now. So it can feel a little hard to go in that direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I like about tapping is you start with really just like acknowledging how you're feeling in the moment. And you stay there for a while, like, oh, imposter syndrome. So the way that you would do it is you you tap on certain points of your body and you start by acknowledging the problem. So you would just talk it out. Imposter syndrome. Oh, I can't stand when this comes up for me. It's so frustrating that I 
like constantly feel like I don't know what I'm doing. How am I ever going to get my work out into the world if I always feel like a failure? Like this is just the worst. And you talk yourself, you talk about the problem. You put the problem in the room, right? You give yeah. it a space. And then you begin to tap on these different meridian points of the body and you start to self-soothe. So you say, I bet that even the most successful people have imposter syndrome. And yet somehow they're still showing up every single day. And they're just a human being like me. Yeah. So if they could figure it out, I bet I could figure it out. And then you start to say, and even though I'm having a little bit of imposter syndrome right now, I still love, accept, and forgive myself. And you kind of go through this cycle. So it's really, really powerful for self-talk and learning how to self-soothe. My favorite uh, tapping practitioner is Gala Darling. And she has a lot of content on her YouTube channel and her Instagram um, she's just very fun as well. So she makes it really fun. So that is a practice that I think is really powerful. Um, another one is having someone in your life that you really trust to talk things out with. And it's okay if it's like a, someone who you've never met in person, because that's the reality that we live on. Some of us make really strong connections with people on social media and you know, a lot of times those people, they're seeing your content, they understand what you're doing, they maybe have a similar business or something. And sometimes they can understand what you're going through more than your family or your friend who has no idea what it is like to be an entrepreneur, for example. So I think it's totally fine and even like beautiful to make a connection with someone and just have someone to talk with. Just say, hey, like, you know, can I, I'm like going through this thing. Can I just talk this out with you? If you have someone in your life like that, really treasure that person. You know, I have a client who's turned into a friend who's still a client of mine. And we talk on Voxer, which is like a walkie talkie app. And we talk every morning. We talk about what we're grateful for. We talk about how we want our day to go. And throughout the day, we just pop in. We, we share our anger with one another. If we're angry at something and something's just like pissing us off, we, we talk about it. And then we say like, oh yeah, I love your anger. Like it sounds so good. Yes, be angry, you know? And we just encourage each other. And it's such a beautiful relationship. It really just adds so much and enriches so much of my life. Just having that person to talk to, um, you know, and also therapy. <laughs> therapy course. is really helpful yeah. as well. You know, um, I started therapy earlier this year and that's really helpful as well. So I think it's okay to to accept support and accept help um, from other people. And then of course, being being in the industry that I'm in, I have to say also like get coached. If you can find a coach that you really resonate with and you feel like that person is going to understand you and never ask you to not trust yourself, but still hold you accountable and help to give you like, you know, different solutions and just help you talk things through. If you find a coach or a mentor that you really resonate with, that can also be, you know, a beautiful thing to invite into your life. Yeah, absolutely. I think you have to invest in yourself, be it through therapy or coaching for you to have the kind of clarity that comes out so beautifully, like it does with you. I think you, there has to, you know, you have to put in a lot of work to get to this place of confidence and clarity and sounding so articulate and coherent about, you know, the case that you're making. So yeah, definitely. And I'm a big champion of therapy as well. So I'm glad that yes. you mentioned it. <laughs> yes, it's so amazing. It's like important too, because there's so much, you know, we're, the coaching industry is really beautiful and there's so much opportunity to start a coaching practice, but let's not forget about those who have spent years and years and years truly yeah. studying the human psyche, let's not forget about our licensed therapists. They're so yeah. important. 
They are yeah. absolutely there, especially right now, considering everything that's happening around the world. So critical, yes. yeah. Seek, seek help yes. people. If you want to talk to someone, make sure you have your people absolutely. and then make sure you have the professionals that you need. Yeah. And actually, I have a resource for that because yeah. a lot of people price themselves out of therapy. They just immediately go, well, I don't have an extra $200 or whatever a month. Check out openpath.com, I think it's called. Um, we can confirm it and put it in the show notes. But Open Path offers sliding scale therapy based on your income. So it's a great way to start therapy, even if you feel like you maybe don't have the extra investment to make. Open Path makes it really easy. And I think it's global because it's online. So that's something that, you know, is a great resource as well. Yeah, definitely something to check out. Uh, yeah. And now for my last question, Joy, um, if you were only allowed to give one advice to our listeners that could help them improve their, the quality of their life, only one advice, what would that be? Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> One piece of advice. Uh, my number one piece of advice is to remember the miracle of being alive. Don't forget what a trip this is to be floating on a rock in outer space, conscious of the fact that you're alive. I mean, what a trip. Just don't forget don't forget that that's what's happening because it's really easy to get lost in the day-to-day -day, but let's not forget what a miraculous experience we're all having that was the amazing diana joy if you want to know more about our guest or you want to explore the resources mentioned during the episode the links will be in the episode description if you want to dive into similar content you can find it on my website kratimehra.com now, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed creating it. I'll be back next week. Till then, please do take care of yourself.